of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Well, good day to you and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones and we are continuing through the Psalm Project today at Psalm 33. I have done something, you might consider it cheating for Psalm 33 for my setting of it, but uh, I'll explain that a little later. Uh, But let's take a look at Psalm 33. Um, If you read it in your Bible, you will notice there are 22 verses In this psalm, the same number of letters as the Hebrew alphabet, but the psalm is not an acrostic. We've had some acrostics um, in some of the psalms up to this point, but this is not an acrostic, even though there are 22 verses. Um, If you were to read the Hebrew Bible, you would obviously not see these verse divisions. In other words, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, there would not be numbers for these verses. Um, We've done that to help us organize our scriptures. Um, Psalm 33. I am not going to read the entire psalm because it is going to be read in the recording. So, I am just going to highlight some of the verses of this psalm. So, let's begin. In Psalm 33, uh, by the way, Psalm 33 is not attributed to a particular uh, author. And so, this, this likely could be one that is that was not written by David. Um, in verse thirty, in verse uh, chapter thirty-three, verse three, we see a term that we often see in the Psalms: "Sing to the Lord a new song." Sing to Him a new song. Often, such new Psalms are found in contexts of victorious war, and these can be seen as shouts of victory. Uh, for example, Psalm ninety-six, Psalm ninety-eight, Psalm one forty-four. Psalm 149, we see this type of idea, to sing to the Lord a new song. And I believe that is applicable to us today. There's nothing wrong with singing to the Lord old songs. Uh, But for those that complain because you sing too many new songs, well, we're commanded in Scripture to sing new songs to the Lord. And then in verse 4, For the word of the Lord is upright. God's speech is to men, reflects his character. He does, he does not deceive his people, but he leads us into truth. And the Bible, as God's written word, does the same. The word of the Lord is upright. In verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, uh, breath of his mouth all their hosts. Literally, this word is simply hosts, And it may refer not merely to the innumerable stars of the heavens, but also to the angelic armies. In verse 7, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. Uh, The creator, God, is pictured here poetically as exercising his command over the waters of chaos. And we've talked about that. The waters, often in the Psalms, represent chaos. And there may also be a a poetical allusion to the song of Moses and Israel at the Red Sea here from Exodus 15. 
And some you might be wondering why often I reference Old Testament scriptures, often from the Pentateuch, when I'm giving my commentary on these psalms. That's because the psalmist here, David or whoever it may be, would have been familiar with those stories of God's works amongst his people. Verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. And I've discussed fear before, to honor, to love, to obey him, but yes, also rightly to be afraid of him. And this does not mean he doesn't love us any less. But often this word, people try to throw that out and dismiss it and say that doesn't mean be afraid of him, but it actually does when you consider what the Lord has done to people in his vengeance and his wrath. Yes, it is right to be afraid of him. And and often Jesus commands his people in the New Testament scriptures to not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid. And that is a command. And I believe that it's right to be afraid of God. Because if we give our fear to anything else but God, it is essentially idolatry. It's saying that this other thing or this other person possesses the right for us to be afraid of them, when in reality God is the only one worthy of our fear. Verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. The nations, what is this discussing the nations? We think of nations as sort of a geographical, political area, but that's not what this is. Um, Nations in scripture often refers to people, a people. You might have heard of the Sooner Nation when you're talking about the Oklahoma Sooners. Yet the Sooner Nation is all over the world. Nations. This is godless nations who seek their own will and not God's that the psalmist here is referring to. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. In other words, nothing can subvert God's purposes. He is in absolute control of history. And obviously, I am someone who believes in the complete, total sovereignty of God, even in the doctrine of election. And there are those that say, well, we have free will. The problem is that concept is nowhere in Scripture, the term and the concept. And people say, well, are we just robots? Well, it's actually worse than that. Apostle Paul says that we're clay. (laughs) It's not just that we're robots, we're clay, and God molds us how he wants us to be. And, and you know, there are all kinds of directions you can go with that. People might say, well, which would glorify God more if he sort of forces us to become his child, you know, forces us to be saved, if you will, or if he gives us a choice and we do it by our own free will. Well, there's a, there's a couple of problems with that. First of all, the problem that if you make the decision, then you are saved by an act, by your own act, and we are not saved by our acts. <laughs> what happens is God regenerates us himself. So that's the first issue. The second issue is, let's think about this. God, the Father, sends his Son, whom he loves more than anyone, including people. Okay, hear me. Don't. That is not contrary to Scripture. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit love each other more than anything in this entire universe. So God's act on the cross is not, first and foremost, an act of love for people, but an act 
of love between the, the, rela- the relationship of the Trinity derived from that then is love for his people. So the father sends his son to face a brutal death on the cross and then would say, here, it's your choice. You do with it what you want. No. What would glorify him more? Obviously, if those he has elected, he has selected to be saved, honor him. So I'm chasing a rabbit here, but but the the problem here is um, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. He is in control of absolute history. And there are those that would say, well, God knew who would choose him, who would receive him before history. And that's what the word, uh, when, when Romans and when in Romans, when Paul says that those God foreknew, he also predestined. Some would say, well, foreknowledge means that God saw into the future who would choose him. And, and that's not sovereignty. That is telling the future. Sovereignty is being in complete control of everything. Every roll of the dice in Las Vegas belongs to God. The Apostle Paul says all things are from God, through God, and to God. So I digress. I'm not going to chase a rabbit anymore on that. But then he goes into verse 12 and he says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. God is the one who initiated the relationship with Israel. The nation that he chose. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 11. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their, uh, their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. If you are a Christian, you know, some people may ask, well, how do I know that I'm elect? Are you a Christian? Have you received Christ? Bam, you're elect. Period. End of story. If you're a Christian, you are chosen by God. And then in verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. Now, in Scripture... Uh, when when the Bible talks about heaven, it could be talking about many things. You might, might hear the Apostle Paul talk about the third heaven. Uh, in other words, what you have is the heavens. In other words, the sky that we see here on the earth. And then the heavens, which is that in outer space, the stars, the moon, the planets. And then the third heaven is heaven that we might consider the place with Christ. Uh, it's a biblical term for God's dwelling place. We see this often in the Psalms. 
And to think of heaven as a literal place really is more right than wrong. There are people that try to say it's not a literal place, the same as hell. Hell is a literal place too, but there are those that would say that heaven and hell are not literal places. But the word could mislead. Scripture describes heaven as a spatial reality that touches and interpenetrates created space. It's transcendent, and so it's not necessarily um, a place that we can see. Yet outside of space and time, we can't. We can see it, and we will see it. So it is a literal place. So discuss it as anything other than that would be wrong. To say it's just an idea or a concept, that would be incorrect. And so this, in this case, the psalmist here is talking about the place where God dwells. The Lord looks down from heaven, and we often think of heaven as up, up there, and hell as down there. And that may not necessarily be correct, but that's kind of the visual that we have. The Lord looks down from heaven, and he sees all the children of man. In verse 15 he says, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. God not only sees all, but he forms the hearts of all. Again, alluding to the sovereignty, the complete sovereignty of God. And so this psalm uh, is one that I actually set in 2011, but I only did it partially. I, I have been setting scripture to music for years and what I did with this psalm is I took verses 8 through 12, and then verses um, 18, verse 18, and I, I used this as the text for this psalm when I said it. So this may be a form of cheating. You could call it that if you want. But what I did is I took that recording of that psalm, and I kept it. <laughs> so I did not reset the psalm. I kept this setting that I've already done. But instead of adding all the other verses, I am reading these verses in between, uh, at the very beginning of the recording and at the end of the recording. So you may have heard this setting that I've done before. Uh, just know that the reading is added to it. And so call it cheating, if you will. But, uh, you know, when you're limited on time, it's a good way to do it. I've set many uh, scriptures to, to music and I'll probably do that with some other psalms, something similar where I already have the recording, and I'm just going to go ahead and use it in this project. There are 150 psalms here, so cut me some slack. So, um, Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. 
The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage.
The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in the Lord.